Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Cool, thanks, JD. Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning, good to see you. Hey, we are in week eight of our Revelation series. We are definitely swimming in the deep end now, but let me say this. If this is your first time here this morning, you are in for a treat because we are talking about dragons and beasts and angels swinging some sickles. So by the end of the day, you're probably going to be like one of two things. One, maybe like this church is crazy or, or this church is exactly the place I've been looking for. You know what I'm saying? All right, so dragons, beasts, angel with a sickle, that's where we're going today. Last week, last week we talked about, uh, Gabe presented the two beasts in Revelation to us, these two beasts, and they are seeking to draw our attention away from Christ and have us focus on the dragon, our great adversary, the devil. He talked about the mark of the beast, that, that enemy, that enemy side. But today we are talking about the opposing side. Okay, we are talking about the winning side, the side that Christ has made us a part of today. We are talking about the army of the Lamb. And before we dive in, okay, because it's gonna, we're gonna get deep. It's gonna get a little serious, a little intense. I want to start off a little bit more, uh, a, a little light. So I'm gonna have you uh, participate in a little exercise. I'm gonna do. Okay, I'm gonna name a topic. Name a topic. It might be kind of controversial. We'll see. But you're just going to choose a side, okay? You're going to choose whichever side you fall on. You're going to be either against this thing or you're going to be for this thing. You're going you're gonna to hate it or you're going to love it. So I'm going to name it and I'll say, who's for it? And you raise your hand if you're for it. And I'll say, who's against it? You raise your hand if you're against it. Okay, you got it? Everybody got that? All right, here we go. First thing. Ooh. Buffets. Who is for buffets? Come on, let me see your head. Yeah, do not be ashamed. I am for buffets. Yes, all right. Against, anybody against buffets? You just don't even give them a chance anymore. Okay, I understand the argument why you would be against, but I just, there's some security in a buffet for me. You know what I'm saying? Because any other restaurant, any other restaurant, you're going to pay a certain amount of money. You're going to receive a certain amount of food, but at some point that food's going to run out, you know? And you you don't know if you're going to be full or not by the end of that meal. But at buffet, man, I just feel secure at a buffet. You pay a certain amount of money, and you're going to eat until you're full. So, yes, thanks. Thanks for being with me. All right, next one. These are kind of personal to me, too. (laughs) Next one. Star Wars. Star Wars fans, man. Yes, yes, Star Wars. That's what I'm saying. We're going to talk after service. We're going to have a chat after service back here in the atrium. Hey, anybody against Star Wars? Oh, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Anybody, what about just like neutral? You've seen them. They're pretty good. Still dead to me. Okay, there's only one option. You love it. You love it. You're all in or you're not. You can't be neutral when it comes to Star Wars. Come on, guys. All right, here's one. It's kind of a totally different playing field than Star Wars, okay? Um, Football. Anybody just like, man, I'm just a football fanatic. Yes, yes, man. Good for you guys. That's awesome. I'm glad that y'all have something that that you enjoy. Anybody neutral, just like, it uh, depends on the game, depends on the time of day, depends on who's playing, I'll watch it. Anybody just against, like, 
just do not. Man, I think I might be the only one. I'm not like against football. Like I don't actively like protest against football or anything, but like I just haven't been. And I know like the big rivalry games are coming up, like the dogs versus the Braves and stuff. But <laughs> anyways, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys have something you enjoy though. It's cool. All right. This is getting really tough, okay? This is a hard one. For or against? Love it or hate it? Slavery. Anybody for slavery? Are we for that? Maybe, maybe you're just neutral or you're indifferent. Like, oh, yeah, under the right circumstances, I could see how owning another human being as a slave would be neutral. Anybody against slavery? Okay. <laughs> Sex trafficking. Anybody in here just like an advocate for sex trafficking? Like you think that's okay? You, you promote that? Or just neutral, maybe like under the right circumstances, you're neutral, you're kind of indifferent over, over human trafficking, over abducting these young kids, you're just kind of neutral. Maybe, maybe it's okay. Maybe not for you. And you would be upset with me, right? You'd be upset with me if I told you that I was neutral, I was indifferent. Like I saw this evil thing happening, like, huh. You would be upset with me because there's no such thing as neutral. Man, if you're neutral about something as horrific as that, you're part of the problem. If you can't see this evil for what it is, you're part of the problem, right? I'd be part of that problem. Guys, listen, we've been talking about a spiritual battle for weeks now. We've been seeing this spiritual battle unfold in the book of Revelation. And let me tell you something. In the midst of this battle, you cannot be neutral. There is no such thing as neutral indifference. To be indifferent, to be flippant, is to be happily in league with the dragon, with the enemy, with the devil. Indifference is complicit with the dragon. Listen, you are on a side. There's no such thing as neutral. Do you know whose side you're on? I hope by the end of today's message you do. You know whose side you're on. You know what it looks like to be on the winning side, the side of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a roadmap of where we're going this morning. We're going to be in 14. You knew that from, from J.D. just reading that passage out of 14. And this is what we're looking at. We're going to see five different things, five different events happening. Revelation 14, you can't open it in the Bibles in front of you in the seats right there because we're just going to continue um, pulling things out from that chapter. But we've got five different things we're looking at, okay? We've got three angels, one, two, three. Each of them have a different message, proclaiming something different, and yet they're all covering angles of the gospel. One angle of the gospel, this angle of the gospel. They have three different messages, three angels, three messages, but it's one gospel. Those are the first three things. Then the other, the other two are these two harvests that happen at the end of the chapter. Two harvests. And one thing to note that's interesting, anytime harvest, harvest is used as, as an illustration in Scripture, Old Testament, it is used as a, a redemptive thing. Whenever a harvest is happening, something redemptive is happening. Redemption is happening in these harvests. So five things in all, those angels, the three angels, plus the two harvests, five mighty acts. These things are either depicting, they're either proclaiming what God has already done, proclaiming his mighty acts on behalf of his people, or 
through the illustration of the harvest, showing his mighty acts, what he's doing on behalf of his people. So that's where we're going. So right now we're going to start with angel number one and look at his message. You can follow along on the screen in your Bibles, but this is what it says starting in verse six. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. To every nation, tribe, language, and people, he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. This angel is flying out with an eternal gospel, our gospel. The gospel that has saved each one of us. And this angel is flying out, taking, proclaiming this gospel to the ends of the earth. Every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Going out with us, proclaiming this message, church. If you follow any sort of Christian news or or Christian media, you've seen these stories of people coming to faith in Christ. Not necessarily because they had this sermon. These people like in other religions, other countries, they didn't necessarily hear a sermon or hear this somebody tell them the gospel right beside them, but, but they came to faith because they had this dream, this vision. People are experiencing these dreams and visions where Jesus comes to them with this gospel and they're saved. They come unto his salvation. That's the work of this angel going out and proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what does that mean? Like if, if that's happening, if some people, that is their testimony, they're experiencing Jesus come to them in a dream, does that mean that, that evangelism is, is not the role and responsibility of the church then? Like you and I don't have to, to bear witness to the God, we don't have to share the gospel if this angel is going out and doing this? I mean, if you throw out... Um, like the, the rest of Scripture, throughout the rest of Scripture leading up to this point right here in Revelation, you just, just hold this one verse. Maybe, maybe it could mean that, that it's not our role. But listen, if we understand Revelation, if we understand this verse, if we understand this passage in the context of the rest of the Bible, then what this angel means is that as we go about the work of evangelism, as we go about bearing witness to the gospel, to our neighbors, to our unbelieving friends. As we go about that work of evangelism, we have divine help. We have divine help going forth with us, proclaiming this gospel to the ends of the earth. Guys, our job, our job in this battle, in this war, is to partner with the angel. Our job is to, is to be heralds of the good news of the gospel, and that is how we fight the way we fight in this battle is way different. You, know, you think it's, it's sharing the gospel. It's, it's just walking down our street. It's passing our neighbor's house, seeing our neighbors, and we start praying over their house as we start going. We, we one day, maybe we go up to our neighbor's house, we introduce ourselves, we invite them over for dinner with the intention of one day, hey, I'm going to share the gospel with this person. And that right there is how we fight. That's how we fight in this battle, going down our neighborhood, praying for our neighbors, and inviting them over to dinner with us so that we would share the gospel in our lives and, and, and through word. It's how we fight in that right there. As simple as walking down your street, starting to pray for your neighbors. That freaks the enemy out. That freaks Satan out to him. Just by walking and praying, inviting your neighbors over. To him, you are a problem. But if you're in 
indifferent. If you're indifferent about all this, you're not a problem. I mean, you might as well be before the enemy, right? You're not a problem. Ah, just leave that up to the angel going out and proclaiming this gospel. If you're indifferent, you're not a problem. You think the enemy's scared of you? Like, he's not scared of you. So whose side are you on? Whose side? Let's look at the message of the second angel. John looks and he sees a second angel followed and he said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. All right, so let's think back, okay? Because this church right here in this context, they're, they're under Roman persecution. Pretty sure Babylon has been gone for quite a long time, a couple hundred years, right? Babylon is long gone. So what, what is this angel saying? Babylon with the maddening wine of her adultery. So again, we have to look. We have to look at the original context of this church. Look at what they're experiencing. It cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. Like Babylon is not, it's not China. We're not looking at this. Oh, this is China. This is America. No. You have to understand this in light of the early church's context. So in their context of experiencing Roman persecution, Roman martyrdom, they're being killed for the faith by the Romans. But at the same time, they're being drawn to Roman culture. I mean, the promise from the Romans is, hey, just, just deny Christ. Turn and you can indulge in our culture, the immorality of our culture. Deny Christ, escape persecution, indulge in all the immorality that Rome has to offer. Listen, Babylon and the maddening wine of her adulteries is code for the immoral culture of Rome of the time that they're living in. So what the second heriting angel is doing, he's exposing the depravity and he's exposing the perversion of Rome that people are beginning to wake up to. And how are they waking up? They've heard the, the call, the proclamation of the first angel to fear God. Judgment's coming, so therefore turn and worship him. Immorality is fallen. Babylon is fallen. Hey, Rome, this culture in is fallen, so wake up. That's the old way of life. Wake up to the new way of life. Immorality, that culture, that fallen culture, it is fallen. It's going to come to nothing. So wake up to this new way of life, church. If you're in Christ, man, then you and I are the ones who have been awakened, right? We've woken up. Jesus Christ has called our names. We've woken up. We've, we've awakened from that slumber of immorality. And now we see Christ. We worship Christ for who he is. He's the one who has awakened us from that slumber of this immoral culture that we were in. He's the one who awakened those Christians back then from the immoral culture of Rome. And now we get to join. We get to join the work of this angel testifying that Babylon Immorality is fallen in the end it comes to nothing. We testify when we share our stories. When we remember our testimonies, we remember what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. We testify along with this angel. Hey, that way of life, it's fallen. It's going to come to nothing. I've woken up. Jesus Christ has awakened me and we bear witness. We still share all the, the nasty, the grimy details. 
of our testimonies. We still share all that stuff, the things that we used to do, the things that we used to say, the things that we used to think, all these things that the enemy wants to still use. He wants to bring them back up and use them to cause a shame. But listen, it's not. It's not going to cause us shame. We're still going to bring it up. We're going to say, hey, this is what Christ has brought me out of. I love what Matt Chandler says. He says, what was intended for their shame then becomes a trophy of his grace. Satan's going to bring all that stuff up. Man, but it's not going to do you any harm because you're already holding up that trophy saying, yeah, I did do that. This is what I used to. I'm holding up forefront. Every time I share my testimony, here's that trophy. This is what I did. But this is what Christ did in spite of all that. Man, I've got this trophy of God's grace. He's awoken me from my slumber of immorality. I've got that on full display for anyone who will hear. This is what God has done. We're waking up from our slumber of immorality and we're displaying this trophy of God's grace and through sharing our stories. Here, this is what happened through sharing our stories. Look at this, this is what God did in my life. Through sharing our stories, God is also waking up others. He's waking up family members, co-workers, neighbors. He's waking up our ones to see the perversion of their lifestyles. That it's fallen. That it's going to come to nothing. By his grace, he's waking them up. We partner with him when we display that trophy. This is what God has done in my life. We know Babylon is fallen. We know this culture, this immoral culture is fallen. We hear the call of the Lord. So listen, whose side are you on? still in that culture? Still idolize that immorality? Being able to do whatever you want? Or has God awakened you? Whose side are you on? We look at the message of the third angel, starting in verse 9. John says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Man, that is eerie, isn't it? The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest for those who are in league with the beast. That is eerie. Almost seems cruel. Doesn't it? Man, but if anything, first, shouldn't this stir us up to just to fight a little bit harder for, for the souls of men and women that we know are going to experience this? Like if we believe this is the reality, shouldn't this stir us up to fight a little harder for those men and women who are going to experience this? And how do we fight? We share the good news of the gospel. We speak the good news of the gospel into our relationships with our unbelieving friends and co-workers that we believe they're going to experience this. Shouldn't this stir us up to fight a little bit harder? Harder? Because all those who are in league with the beast, even those who are just indifferent, they think they're neutral. 
will experience this wrath of God. Man, wrath is a heavy word, intense word. Why do we sometimes feel like the wrath of God is in direct contradiction to his love? And I just, I asked that question, and yet it's a huge question, and we're, we're going to barely skim the surface of it, okay? Man, but in just describing God's wrath and his love, Matt Chandler has this great quote and expounds on it. He says, the more you love something, the more capacity you have for wrath. The more you love something, the more you, capacity you have for wrath. Okay, so because I deeply love my family, because I deeply love Krista, Charlie, and Rowan, if somebody threatens them, Man, they can provoke a lot of wrath, a lot of anger out of me. Something, something that happened the other day, like there was no threats involved or anything, but it just it got a little bit of tension with me. I took Charlie to the park and it was just me and her. We were both there and she was like swinging on the monkey bars doing something. And there were some other kids around and she was like, hey, look at me. Like to these other kids, she's like, hey, look at me. And none of them, like they were busy doing that. They didn't intentionally not look at her. They were just busy doing that. But nobody looked. And like, I kind of saw her face get like, and I was like, I was tore up inside. Like I was like, guys, like I didn't say this out loud to them, but, it, but inside I'm like, just look at her, look at her, please. Come on. Like, oh, do you see her? Guys, if somebody threatens them, they can provoke a lot of wrath out of me because I first have a strong capacity for love for my family. God doesn't just have a strong capacity for love. Okay, God doesn't just like experience love, like he has this kind of love moment. Like that's not God. Scripture says that God is love. And he is therefore infinitely capable of wrath. Listen, to follow the beast, to follow the beast is to participate in the destruction of those whom God loves. To follow the beast is to participate in that destruction of those whom God loves, even those who are just indifferent. I mean, we see this horrific evil such as, such as human trafficking. If we just stand idly by, we see it happening before us and we're just indifferent. Do you think you're not guilty? You see this evil and you're just like, ah. to follow the beast, to be indifferent, to see evil happening and to think is to participate in the destruction of those whom God loves. To follow the beast is to provoke God who is love, to threaten those whom he loves, and to incur the wrath of God by your own doing. Wrath is our own doing. God's wrath is giving people what they want. What? I don't want wrath. I don't know anybody that wants wrath. Listen, John 3.19 says, Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. So, they stayed in darkness. They stayed where they wanted to. They didn't want the light. They stayed in darkness. Furthermore, Romans says, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done, but they, they wanted to do anyways. Wrath is giving people what they want. J.I. Packer says that nobody stands under the wrath of God save those who have chosen to do so. 
Nobody stands under the wrath of God save those who have chosen to do so. The essence of God's action and wrath is to give men what they choose and all its implications, nothing more and equally nothing less. Because he is love, God's wrath is fierce, but it's wrath that's chosen. This is the message of the third angel. And like the other two, we join, we join in the work of this angel by proclaiming that message of wrath. We proclaim the message of sin and what it leads to. We don't yield to fallen culture. No, we preach and we teach against sin. We tell people what it leads to. But listen, maybe, maybe don't lead with this message, with the wrath. Hey, have you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you about the wrath of God. Maybe don't lead with this one. Okay, follow the order. All the angels. Man, lead with love. Lead with Jesus. Lead with hospitality. Lead with the example of your own life. Share the good news of Jesus Christ, what he came to do, and then you get to wrath. Get to the truth about sin, but follow the order. I love what a Christian author, Rosaria Butterfield, says. She has this quote in one of her books. She says, your words can be only as strong as your relationships. Your words can be only as strong as your relationships. That means, listen, these strong gospel words that we share with others, they're going to have a stronger impact in our strongest relationships. Strong words have a stronger impact in our strongest relationships. And so get to know your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Be known by your neighbors out of that relationship of knowing one another, caring one another. Share those strong gospel words. Fight. That's how you fight. Because listen, the harvest, we're about to look at these harvests. The harvest is now, Scripture says. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus says in John 4, now is the time. So whose side? Whose side are you on? You can either be a problem for Satan, one of the harvesters, one of the far, what am I saying? One of the fighters, <laughs> harvesters. You can be a problem for Satan or you can go back to sleep. We're going to look at these harvests. And the first one is, is relatively simple, but it's remarkable. It's simple to explain, but it's remarkable. It's miraculous. Okay, so we're going to look at the first harvest and it's starting in verse 14. It's actually what J.D. just read for us. I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who is seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Man, this right here, this, the one swinging the sickle is Jesus. It's one like the son of man that John sees. This is the son of man. This is Jesus. He's harvesting and he's gathering all those to himself who believe in his name. It's all those who have heard the messages of the angels, whether from an angel himself or from a fellow brother, they've heard those messages and they've turned to Jesus for salvation. Okay. So those being harvested in this passage, that's us. 
It's all the saints before us. It's all the saints after us. All who would believe, all who have believed in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is gathering all those. He's gathering his own to himself in this first harvest. Relatively simple. We got it. It's Jesus harvesting us. He's gathering us. But remarkable. But the second harvest gets a little more technical. There's a little bit more imagery happening in here. But listen, it is my, my favorite part of this whole passage, the second harvest. It's the last event. There's these five events. We looked at the three angels. We looked at one harvest. This is the fifth one, the harvest. Let me say this. This harvest, it's like, it's like they save the best for last, okay? Because this harvest is the reason the first one can even happen. This harvest we're about to look at, it's the reason why the angels even have a message to proclaim at all. Okay, so listen. And remember, harvest is a redemptive thing because this sounds a little intense. But harvest is a redemptive thing. Listen, let's read this together. Starting in verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. It's an angel. It's not Jesus. It's not one like the Son of Man. An angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle. I feel like I've said that word a thousand times already. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. So they were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridle for a distance of 1,600 stadia. That is about 180 miles. Horse's bridle, that's about four to five feet tall. I know that because my wife does horses also. I Googled it. Um, so I found out that way as well. This blood flowing thick and wide, almost a distance of 200 miles, which is really the length of that Palestine back then where, where Israel lived, where these Christians were. It's almost the length. It's this vast amount of blood. Now listen, I mentioned this right at the start of this passage. We have to get this. It's not Jesus who's swinging the sickle here. He's not the one harvesting in this passage. It's an angel that we see. He's swinging the sickle and he's being commanded by another angel who has the charge of the fire. What's fire? Okay, so all throughout scripture, all throughout scripture, we see fire used in correspondence and correlation with God, with the power, with the will, with the presence of God. So in the Old Testament, God speaks to Moses through what? through a burning bush, through fire. In the Old Testament, God leads his people. He's present with his people through a pillar of fire. Yes, you got it. And, and in the New Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit comes down. He descends on his disciples as tongues of fire at Pentecost. This angel then who is charged with fire, listen, this angel is charged with the will, the presence, and the power of God. And according to the will and power of God, he commands that the sickle be swung, that something or someone be harvested. Who does he harvest? The vine of the earth. In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, he himself, Jesus, 
is the vine. Jesus is the vine. The vine of the earth is harvested and taken to the wine press outside the city, outside the city walls where it's not safe, outside the city where bad things happen, outside the city where wild animals roam, outside the city where lepers live, outside the city where Christ was crucified. This vine is taken outside the city where Christ died on a cross. This is Jesus in the wine press outside the city. He is absorbing God's wrath. That intense message of the third angel that we read earlier, that wrath of God. Listen, Jesus is right here and he's absorbing that wrath for all of us who believe. We're not going to experience that because Jesus, the vine of the earth, was taken to the wine press. He was taken to the cross. And he absorbed the wrath of God for all those who believe we will not experience that. That is good news. Man, in the vast amount of blood that we see, it's flowing far and wide and thick, four or five feet tall for, for 200 miles. It seems gory and gross, but it's actually a good thing because it's letting us know Hey, no matter what you've done, there's enough blood for you. Christ's blood covers all. No matter what you've done, there's enough for you. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed, church. That harvest is why we can be harvested in the first place. That harvest, Jesus Christ being harvested and crushed for our sins is the reason the the angels have any messages to proclaim in the first place. The reason salvation is available to us all because Jesus Christ was harvested, absorbed the wrath of God. It's why the saints across all time and space, us here today, those before us, those after us, this harvest is why the saints are saints, why we never stop worshiping Christ because of the lamb, the vine of the earth, Jesus Christ and his blood that saves us. At the beginning of this chapter, Revelation 14, we didn't read it together, but there at the beginning, John first sees this image of a lamb standing on Mount Zion in victory. It's a bloody, a slaughtered lamb. It's a lamb that gave itself up for others, a lamb slaughtered for sinners, and yet it's a lamb that stands in victory, a lamb that's won the fight. Listen, the way we fight is way different than you think. We fight like this lamb. We fight humbly. We fight by giving up ourselves for others. We fight gently. We fight with love because we've been loved fiercely. We fight with hospitality. We fight with prayer. We fight by living and sharing the good news of the gospel no matter the cost. That is how we fight. Are you fighting? Whose side are you on? Whose side? Are you fighting or not? What is your life oriented around? It doesn't have to be anti-God. It doesn't have to be practicing like these satanic worship practices or be involved in a cult. It doesn't have to do any of that that far crazy stuff to be anti-God. It could just be indifferent. 
to be happily in league with the dragon. So wake up. Come out from under wrath and come into love. Our God who is love. Wake up. Come out swinging. And start fighting the way of the dragon, the way of the lamb. That's all there is. So whose side are you on? Let me pray for us. Lord, Revelation, your scripture, God, it is filled with intense messages. God, because you are a holy God, you are the only one righteous, and yet it's filled with hope. Jesus Christ went to the cross, went to that wine press, absorbed the wrath that we deserved, but he took it on himself, Lord. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Christ. By his wounds we are healed. That is hope. That is good news. Lord, open our eyes. We want to join the fight. We want to, without a doubt, be on your side. There's no neutral There's no indifference. It's the way of the lamb or the way of the dragon. God, work in us, move in us that we would be fully consecrated, fully set apart for you and your kingdom and your will, what you desire on this earth. Lord, thank you for saving us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at Eastridge Church.